Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A tragedy in Kentucky. Two U.S. Army Blackhawk helicopters crashed during a routine training mission. Nine soldiers on board have died. A Wall Street Journal reporter arrested on Russian soil. Moscow accused him of spying for the U.S. government. The Department of Homeland Security is requesting a 2024 budget from Congress. Republican lawmakers respond by calling on Secretary Mayorkas to resign. Sustainable fuel archaic systems, a level playing field with China. Senators lock horns on the future of aviation during testimony on Capitol Hill. The grand jury probing former President Trump reportedly taking a month-long break. A planned hiatus is the reason. We examine this, the media narrative, and what the break suggests about the weight of the evidence. Nine soldiers were killed in a crash of two medical evacuation helicopters during a routine nighttime training mission over Kentucky. Crew members using night vision goggles were flying two HH-60 Blackhawk helicopters. According to Fort Campbell, the crash occurred around 10 p.m. Eastern Time. The 101st Airborne Division was operating the two helicopters. An investigation into the cause is underway. The division's deputy commanding officer said little was known about why the helicopters came down. The crash is one of the military's deadliest training accidents in recent years. A train carrying ethanol derailed and caught fire in Minnesota early this morning. Officials have evacuated a nearby town. The evacuation area covers about a half-mile radius around the crash site. Authorities say the accident occurred around 1 a.m. in Raymond, about 100 miles west of Minneapolis. The train was transporting ethanol and corn syrup. The accident affected nearly two dozen train or tanker cars. No injuries have been reported. In a Facebook post, the Raymond Fire Department said the evacuation was a precautionary measure. Russia's FSB security service arrested a Wall Street Journal reporter on charges of spying for Washington. A Moscow court ordered his pretrial detention until May 29th. The journalist is a 31-year-old U.S. national. He pleaded not guilty at today's closed-door hearing. The FSB claims he tried to obtain classified information about a military factory without giving details or evidence. Moscow says his activities were, quote, not related to journalism. The case marks the most serious public move against a foreign journalist in Russia since the beginning of the war in Ukraine. The Wall Street Journal has denied the allegations from the FSB and sought the immediate release of the reporter. The Department of Homeland Security is coming under scrutiny in both the House and Senate. This week, lawmakers grilled Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the department's budget request, criticizing its work on border security. Here's the story. This week, Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas attended multiple budget appropriations hearings at both the House and Senate. In most budget hearings, some lawmakers will try to cut spending. But in this case, many Republicans said they want to get rid of Mayorkas altogether. According to the DHS, there have been 4.7 million reported encounters with illegal immigrants at the southern border since the Biden administration assumed office in January 2021. An estimated 1.3 million gotaways escaped into the country. On top of that, fentanyl is coming into the country through the southern border, killing tens of thousands of Americans each year. Children are being forced into trafficking, as many of my colleagues have said. There are migrants dying every week um, trying to cross our border. If you're aware of all these failures and you've done nothing, what will it take for you to resign and step down from this job? Because I see this as a complete failure. Uh, What will it take? Congresswoman, you are mistaken in your citation of statistics. Mayorkas added that the congresswoman doesn't know how the immigration system works. Lawmakers also asked him whether Mexican cartels should be declared foreign terrorist organizations, to which he didn't respond directly. Hinson indicated that it seems like DHS isn't worried about cartels. Mr. Secretary, are you aware of how many times um, in your budget request you mentioned the word cartel? Uh, no, no, I'm not, but I must say I, I respectfully it's zero. disagree. I, it's I respe- zero, Mr. Secretary. Oh, a Congresswoman, um, we in are... In the 100-page document that you submitted, you mentioned the word cartel zero. Good morning, Secretary Mayorkas. At a Senate hearing on Tuesday, Texas Senator Ted Cruz also criticized Mayorkas. Cruz is among lawmakers calling on Mayorkas to resign. Let's look at 
CBP encounters. You can see 500,000, 500,000, it drops to the lowest level, and boom, what happens? You show up, and that red line is you. That red line is Joe Biden. And you're claiming nothing happened. Oh, gosh, th this was here before us. No, you made the decision to allow this to happen. The Homeland Security budget request for fiscal year tops $100 billion, with $60 billion defined as discretionary. The Federal Aviation Administration was in the spotlight yesterday. Senators jousted on Capitol Hill, each painting a different picture of what can bring the agency into the future. Entity's Daniel Monahan brings us more. Senator Maria Cantwell says sustainable aviation is good for the bottom line. She lauded the FAA's clean program, saying it will save $36 billion in fuel by 2050. These emission cuts are equal to removing 3 million cars from the road between 2020 and 2050. Cantwell calls for tripling funding to the clean program and says the aviation industry and the federal government have agreed to strive for net zero aviation emissions by 2050. But Senator Ted Cruz is leery of spending taxpayer dollars to prop up emerging technologies and doubts the FAA can support innovative new modes of travel. I've heard more than once that better aviation technologies exist but aren't used today because they're incompatible with the FAA's legacy systems. He says the agency cannot even handle existing users, let alone new ones. The FAA has spent nearly 20 years attempting to implement their latest air traffic control modernization effort. Next, Jen. Cruz says what should have been a transformative upgrade to American air traffic systems has become a tech refresh effort plagued by delays and cost overruns with limited benefit to the public. Cruz also took a shot at Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who oversees the FAA. Just last week, Secretary Buttigieg asked airlines to cut their schedules in New York by 10% because the FAA couldn't keep up with the traffic. Crews criticize sustainable aviation fuel as well. He says such fuels cost up to eight times more than traditional jet fuel and says those costs would be shifted entirely to the flying public. Meanwhile, Senator J.D. Vance drew attention to an apparent double standard with China. China is the dirtiest economy in the world. They emit about two times as much carbon as we do. Why are we effectively penalizing the American aviation industry while we don't require or even attempt to force the Chinese to do the same to their aviation industry? Vance says everyone believes in technology and the importance of moving American industry into the technological future, but the senator calls for a level playing field. If we allow the Chinese to operate their industrial economy more cheaply than in the United States, we're offshoring the very basis of technological innovation. The hearing was part of congressional work on a five-year spending and policy plan for the FAA called a reauthorization. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. U.S. House lawmakers have voted in support of an energy bill amendment. It would prevent energy department efforts to outlaw most gas stoves on the market today. More than two dozen Democrats joined Republicans in supporting the measure. It's part of a Republican-led pro-fossil fuel bill package, which the Biden administration has vowed to veto. It comes after the Energy Department proposed an energy efficiency rule. It would be a first-of-its-kind regulation for cooking appliances. The Energy Department said in February it would mean about half of gas stoves being sold today wouldn't be in compliance. The amendment would prohibit the Energy Secretary from implementing the proposed rule on gas stoves and any other similar rule limiting access to gas stoves. According to the Energy Information Administration, about 38% of U.S. households use natural gas for cooking. That's about 40 million gas stoves. Indicted FTX cryptocurrency exchange founder Sam Bankman-Fried arrived at federal court in New York today. Waiting for him was a large gathering of media. He is expected to plead not guilty to new U.S. criminal charges, which include conspiring to violate campaign finance laws and bribe Chinese authorities. Bankman-Fried had earlier pleaded not guilty to eight federal charges, including fraud and conspiracy for allegedly stealing billions in FTX customer funds to plug losses at his hedge fund. A source said he also plans to plead not guilty to the new 13-count indictment. The new charges add to the pressure on Bankman-Fried. He is now facing a possible sentence of decades in prison if convicted. His trial is set to start in October.
any potential indictment of Trump looks likely to be delayed. That's due to reports of a planned hiatus by the grand jury. We get some analysis on this, as well as Trump's reaction to the news. Joining us now to discuss is constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis. Jenna also served as a senior advisor and counsel to President Donald Trump. Jenna, it's great to have you with us again. Thanks, Kevin. Great to join you. Can you start by giving us a brief overview of the timeline of the developments in this case and then highlights the significance of the previously planned hiatus that has resulted in the break? Yeah, so there are reports coming out now that uh, any potential forthcoming indictment won't be contemplated by the Manhattan Grand Jury until at least the end of April. So this shift in uh, the planning process, of course, would delay any potential indictment and possibility of an arrest that President Trump has said has been forthcoming. And so reports have said that this was a planned hiatus uh, for the grand jury, uh, particularly around the Easter holiday. And of course, I think both sides will use uh, this particular hiatus for their advantage in terms of the narrative. Yes, and I want to talk about how this is being framed here. Has there been any change to the narrative in the mainstream media over the last week surrounding this case? Well, of course, uh, they are now. The mainstream media is now framing this that uh, President Trump falsely claimed that he would be arrested and that impending arrest because that didn't happen on the timeline that President Trump predicted. President Trump's team, of course, responded that um, it was due to the outrage over the weaponization of government that ultimately led to uh, Alvin Bragg potentially reconsidering whether or not to submit this case to the grand jury for a return on indictment or no bill. So uh, both sides, of course, are playing this to their advantage, but it ultimately remains to be seen what the grand jury does because they are an independent deliberative body. Talking some strategy here, what do these recent developments suggest about the amount of evidence or lack thereof in the effort to indict Trump? And are there concerns about this potentially backfiring? There are always concerns about it backfiring when uh, this is more of a politically motivated prosecution and there's so much politics around this rather than just being the exercise of enforcement of the rule of law. And so looking at the actual case that Alvin Bragg has, uh, legal experts and uh, myself included have said that he has a very, very weak case and it looks like uh, simply a target of President Trump rather than anything that is genuinely legally substantive. So how this particular hiatus may play into uh, the political headlines, of course, will be the court of public opinion. But ultimately, um, I think that this particular hiatus doesn't necessarily look like it weighs in on the evidence or lack thereof. It will just uh, remain to be seen whether or not the DA actually moves forward with this and also how this ultimately impacts the other ongoing investigations in Fulton County, Georgia, and the special counsel out of Washington, D.C. Because since there is such a lack of evidence in the Manhattan DA's case that may give cover for either Fulton County or Washington, D.C. to look stronger uh, just on pretext by comparison. I don't think that either of those cases are legally substantive either, but it, by comparison, the left may uh, shift that narrative as well. It is very interesting how you mentioned how these other cases could play a role here. Trump praised the grand jury following the news of the break, saying that he's gained such respect. What does this suggest about the veracity of the anonymous sources Politico cited about the hiatus? Well, I think that President Trump, uh, like he always does, is playing, of course, to uh, his strength in the media. And so he is praising the grand jury, uh, hopefully, uh, so that they will not return that uh, bill of indictment. And so uh, even though the indictment seemed to be forthcoming a lot earlier, since that hasn't been forthcoming and there have been additional witnesses and additional uh, times of deliberation and now this hiatus, that may suggest to President Trump that the grand jury is taking its time and that this isn't just a slam dunk for Alvin Bragg on a return of indictment. Trump had mentioned that he sees them not as just a rubber stamp in this case. Constitutional Attorney Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for your input. Thanks so much. The Supreme Court seems sympathetic to a wife of a delinquent taxpayer. She says the IRS went too far in secretly reviewing third-party bank records. The IRS claims Remo Polselli owes $2 million in taxes and penalties. It ordered the bank records without notice, including records of his wife's financial dealings and law firms that worked for them. 
Throughout the hearing, the justices said the IRS needs tools to pursue delinquent accounts, but also suggested they need to guard against potential abuses. The Biden administration says the IRS doesn't need to provide notice to third parties so that delinquent taxpayers don't get a head start in hiding assets. But a lower court ruled in favor of Pulselli, saying it's a major privacy issue if the IRS can secretly summons all redacted bank records of anyone who ever received money from a delinquent taxpayer. Virginia has passed a new law protecting religious freedom. It labels places of worship as essential businesses. The aim is to stop the kind of church closures that happened during COVID lockdowns. Governor Glenn Youngkin signed the new law this week. The Family Foundation called it a victory for the First Amendment and restrained government. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis was one of the first governors to deem houses of worship essential services. He signed a similar bill into law in mid-2022. Residents of North Carolina can now buy a handgun without getting a permit from a local sheriff. State lawmakers did away with the requirement by overriding the governor's veto. The bill eliminates the permit system requiring sheriffs to perform character evaluations and criminal history checks of pistol applicants. Supporters of the bill say this was no longer necessary in light of significant updates to the national background check system. Opponents say it allows a greater number of dangerous people to obtain weapons. The Republican-controlled state legislature on Wednesday overrode Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's veto of the bill, a first since 2018. The permit repeal takes effect immediately. Those who purchase pistols from a gun store or a federally licensed dealer are still subject to a national background check, and concealed weapons permits are still required. Now we hear from a California woman who once identified as transgender. She had both of her healthy breasts removed when she was just 13. She later regretted the decision and is now suing those responsible. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. Layla Jane experienced a lot of mental health issues from as far back as she can remember. I experienced suicidal ideation from a really young age, like first grade, ever since I understood the concept of death. I would sob so hard sometimes as a young child, I would start throwing up and gagging. She also felt different from the kids around her. Yeah, um, I felt a really strong disconnect from other girls. Um, I still do. Um, I just didn't really feel like one of them. I kind of felt this way though about boys too. Um, I didn't really feel like one of them either. Having seen stories of famous transgender people like Caitlyn Jenner online, Layla decided to visit a therapist at a transgender clinic when she was 11. And she really just kind of sat back and said, okay, you're not the first trans person to come through my office. You're not going to be the last. You know, this is normal. This happens. Um, And she really just affirmed. um, She didn't ask any meaningful questions as a, why do you feel like this? Why do you want to make these changes? What prompted this? Is there something underlying? Maybe there's some underlying trauma that could be feeling this. Layla was given birth control pills to stop her menstruation and was eventually referred to Dr. Susan Watson at the Kaiser Permanente Transgender Clinic in Oakland. And um, she got the ball rolling um, for me to get on puberty blockers. Um, eventually testosterone, and eventually a double mastectomy. Layla says little attention was paid to her mental health. I had nobody else looking at the mental side of things. Um, I didn't have consistent therapy with um, the local therapist. That wasn't required, so I just didn't do it. She says she had a couple of appointments with Dr. Watson, who did discuss the long-term effects. You know, I was a child, and I don't think I really fully understood the permanence and everything. I mean, you don't let a kid at that age smoke, drink, get a tattoo, vote, drive. But I was allowed to do that. Layla suffered nerve damage, multiple other side effects, and faces possible infertility. She no longer identifies as transgender. Her legal team is accusing her medical providers of grossly and recklessly breaching the standard of care and failing to adequately assess and treat her complex array of mental health symptoms. They're also accusing Kaiser Permanente of coercing Layla and her parents with the threat of suicide. NTD reached out to Kaiser Permanente but did not receive a response. We asked Layla if she has any advice for those in a similar situation as she was. Really, just to slow down, um, make sure you get your mental health checked. Um, 
there's no rush to do this. You know, I've met so many people who transition as adults and they're honestly, if anything, more passable, they're happier, they're more mentally stable because they made this choice as an adult. Layla says she has no interest in seeing fewer trans people, but she would like to see less people who have to detransition, adding that it's not an easy route. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Kentucky passed a law on Wednesday preventing minors from accessing transgender procedures. The move makes Kentucky the 11th state in the country to ban such procedures for minors. It is also the eighth state to do so this year. The law bars children under 18 from accessing transgender surgical procedures. It also prohibits puberty blockers and hormone therapies. The new state law also bans public school teachers from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity up to the fifth grade and blocks students from using restrooms and locker rooms that don't reflect their sex. State lawmakers overrode a veto by Kentucky's governor to pass the law. And coming up, the president of Taiwan is in New York City. Tensions are high, and the communist regime in China has threatened her and those she's meeting with. The Japanese prime minister answers a question written by an artificial intelligence chatbot. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen is spotted at a hotel in New York while on a sensitive U.S. Spot stopover. Tension is high during the trip as Beijing continues to issue threats. Tsai is on her first U.S. stopover since 2019. She's en route to Guatemala and Belize. She plans to stay in New York until Saturday and will also visit Los Angeles on her return from Central America. She's expected to meet current U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. A spokesperson from Beijing said that if Tsai met with McCarthy, the Chinese regime would, quote, definitely take measures to resolutely fight back. White House National Security spokesperson John Kirby has urged China not to use a normal stopover as a pretext to increase aggressive activity against Taiwan. The U.S. stopover is Tsai's seventh since taking office in 2016 and comes amid concerns in the United States and elsewhere that Russia's invasion of Ukraine might embolden the Chinese regime to move against Taiwan. Taiwan's armed forces say they are watching for any Chinese moves while Tsai is abroad. Speaking of threats from China, the big question on Americans' minds, will the U.S. ban TikTok? Heated debate on the topic in the Senate yesterday between two Republican senators, actually. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on their arguments and the response from Democratic lawmakers. Senator Paul on Wednesday objected to Senator Hawley's request for unanimous consent to fast-track a ban on TikTok in the U.S. They say, oh, the app's full of propaganda and your young people will be dancing into communism. Well, go to the app and search for Falun Gong. Go to TikTok and search for videos advocating Taiwan's independence. Criticism of Chinese President Xi Jinping. Videos are all over TikTok that are critical of official Chinese positions. That's why TikTok is banned in China. Lawmakers have expressed concerns over the app's influence through its algorithm, what is selectively shown to users. Paul says the Constitution prohibits bills of attainder. That's a bill against a specific person or company. He objected to Hawley's request for a roll call vote on the legislation. He says the U.S. ban on the app would be infringing on the First Amendment rights of 150 million Americans and that people should just stop using it if they don't want their data collected. Senator Josh Hawley disagreed and cited national security concerns. What I object to is the Communist Chinese Party using this app on Americans' phones to spy on Americans without their consent. The senator says that Americans can simply not use this app, just turn it off. <laughs> That's not the case. Hawley says the app spies even when it's not being used. Some Democratic lawmakers say they want to see a broad policy to address the issue, not just targeting TikTok, but other big tech firms as well. We absolutely need to have privacy laws. 
you know, we have to have privacy laws and you can't just ban one company, even though TikTok is a major problem. You can't just ban a company. You need to have a comprehensive uh, privacy law. If you ban TikTok next week, there'll be TikTok too the week after. It's not just TikTok, but it's American companies as well. It's now time for us to put that comprehensive privacy bill of rights on the books. Senator Joe Manchin says he supports a ban on TikTok, but prefers an alternative bill over Hawley's. The one that makes all the sense in the world is a bipartisan one that basically Mark Warner and John Thune, Democrat and Republican, it's a bipartisan. It does a job and illegally and it'll, it'll, pass, it'll pass the test of the courts. Hawley has vowed to continue efforts to pass the ban. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A little-known Chinese app, also owned by TikTok parent ByteDance, is gaining popularity. What is it? Stay tuned to our business news at 5 p.m. to learn more. Washington is once again sanctioning Chinese firms, and this time for their involvement in China's human rights abuses. Entity's Tiffany Meyer brings us a closer look. More U.S. trade restrictions are hitting Chinese businesses. On Tuesday, Washington added five Chinese firms to its entity list all of them accused of suppressing the Uyghur Muslim minority. The entity list means U.S. suppliers need a special and difficult-to-obtain license before they can ship goods to those companies. All five newly added companies are subsidiaries of China's Hikvision, a state-owned surveillance camera maker. Hikvision is widely criticized for aiding Beijing's human rights abuses in the Xinjiang region. And for that reason, the company was added to the U.S. entity list in 2019. In response to Washington's move, Beijing's foreign ministry condemned Washington, accusing the U.S. of what it described as politicizing normal business and economic cooperation. The U.S. Commerce Department confirmed that protecting human rights worldwide will be a key factor for its trade blacklist policy. Yet another Chinese company finding itself in hot water. Chinese fashion retail giant Shine is now accused of running from U.S. tariffs. Just recently, a new group called Shutdown Shine launched in the U.S. It's condemning the company for unethical business practice while pointing at Shine's involvement in China's human rights abuses. The group also claims that Shine has significant ties with Chinese social media app TikTok. In 2016, the U.S. waived import taxes for packages valued $800 or less, enabling overseas companies to take advantage of the American trade system. Shine is one of them. U.S. labor groups are now demanding that Washington reduce those tax exemptions for Chinese imports. They say the policy directly hurts U.S. retailers. Washington returning to dialogue with China, but officials are keeping it low-key for now. This comes two months after Secretary Antony Blinken canceled his planned China trip over the spy balloon incident. The State Department confirmed Tuesday that a U.S. official visited China last week. That official is Rick Waters, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for China and Taiwan. He's the State Department's China coordinator. Das Waters met with uh, working-level counterparts and U.S. government colleagues uh, in an official capacity. He visited uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing as part of his, uh, his trip and uh, don't have really anything uh, additional uh, to, to offer. Asked if the visit is prepped for Blinken's visit to Beijing. As it relates to the secretary's trip, we have uh, long said that uh, the trip is postponed and will be rescheduled at a date when conditions allow. Uh, the important thing to remember here, and I think this is a, a key piece of, uh, of, of Das Waters' trip, is um, we have long said that we believe it is important to maintain lines of communication uh, with uh, the PRC. Blinken was originally set to visit China earlier this year in February, but the trip was canceled after the U.S. found out a Chinese spy balloon floated across the U.S. A Japanese lawmaker is using AI bot ChatGPT in official business. He presented the Prime Minister of Japan with a question generated by the bot. It happened during a parliamentary session in Japan's lower house. I asked the question to ChatGPT, the trending subject of generative artificial intelligence. If you were a member of the House of Representatives in Japan, what questions would you like to ask Prime Minister Fumio Kishida in the parliament regarding a draft amendment to a bill to revise a law on special measures against new types of influenza and other illnesses? 
At the very least, by a quick look, the answer I had given earlier about many opinions and proposals being received from the local government and medical professionals compared to the response from ChatGBT, my answer was more specific in naming the people involved, such as the National Association of Local Municipalities and the Societies of Commerce and Industries. So I feel my answer reflected the actual situation more than the one by ChatGPT. After Prime Minister Kishida answered ChatGPT's question, the opposition lawmaker asked ChatGPT what it thought the Prime Minister would answer. Kishida and other lawmakers could be seen looking at the papers with the chatbot's response. Kishida insisted his answer was better. It drew a brief laugh from lawmakers in Japan's parliament. The exchange was the first time artificial intelligence technology was applied in Japan's legislative discussions. Kishida said there is potential for government officials to use the tool in the future. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, Ukraine's president is inviting Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping over for a visit. That's after Xi wrapped up a three-day visit to Russia. Spain is struggling to control over 100 wildfires along with record heat. Thousands of acres have burned. More shortly here on NTD News Today. According to new testimony, oversight for American aid to Ukraine is working. Officials say there is no evidence of fraud for assistance provided to the war-torn country. Although the oversight hasn't revealed any serious crime, it has shown a huge increase in the number of suspected fraud cases. Officials say that means people are becoming more aware of the channels to report suspicious activity. Ensuring accountability in the U.S. aid to Ukraine has been a top priority for lawmakers. This since Russia launched its attempted conquest of the country more than a year ago. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky is extending an invite to Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. Here are the details. I want to speak with him because I have con- I had contact with him before full-scale war, but during all this year, more than one year, I didn't have, and I really wait when our teams will uh, find like the solution. Like no plans yes. at the moment. Yes. Okay. Yes. Would you invite him here to Ukraine? Oh yes, we are ready. We are ready to see him here. Chinese leader Xi Jinping just wrapped up a visit to Russia last week. The two countries pledged to boost military cooperation, and Putin said China's peace proposal on the Ukraine war is in sync with Russian approaches. But he said Ukraine's Western allies so far have shown no interest in it. Ukraine has rejected giving up parts of its territory for peace. Following Xi's visit, Putin said he plans to store nuclear weapons in Belarus, the country sits between Russia and Ukraine. Responding to Zelensky's invite, China's foreign ministry says Beijing maintains communication with all parties involved, including Ukraine. The spokesperson added that she didn't have specific information to share on the communication between the two leaders. Dogs are helping Russian forces deployed in Ukraine by locating mines, rescuing people trapped under rubble, and taking part in assault operations. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the latest. The war in Ukraine has dragged on for more than a year. Russia's forces have struggled to make gains in the face of determined Ukrainian resistance. Now, citizens are training dogs for the front lines. As of today, there are five dogs in training and there are three more candidates. They are currently being tested. We haven't taken them in yet, but we are testing them in various settings and hope to add three more dogs to our ranks soon. So far, the Baskerville Dog Training Center has sent nine dogs. Others are being tested to see if they have what it takes. Right now, we have initial training, control, obedience, practical obedience, the things the search is later based on. The dog must be focused and controlled when it works. The initiative is called the True Friend Project. The trainers say dogs play an indispensable role in war zones. We get photos and videos of our dogs all the time. They work in a variety of search areas. Some are involved in searching for various substances and explosives. Some are involved in rescue work, helping to find victims under rubble. Some are involved in assaults. There are dogs that are involved in assault operations. They're all on the job. They sometimes perform tasks that humans or robots can't. When it comes to detecting mines, a dog is as good as a team of eight people. 
I don't care what land they're carving up there. It is important to me that no one gets hurt. Let them find the mine. Let them deactivate it and let no Ukrainian, Russian, or anyone else get hurt. That is the goal. Some of the dogs involved in this project had a difficult past. A few came from animal shelters. The trainers hope to give the animals new life and an opportunity to prove themselves. But the front lines of Russia's war are dangerous. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. More than 100 wildfires are alight in the northern Spanish region of Asturias. Record high spring temperatures throughout Spain have made conditions ripe for fires. Spain registered its hottest March 29th on record with temperatures 7 to 14 degrees above normal. Footage shows cars driving just feet away from huge flames and firefighters spraying water to damp down the area. Asturias has banned forest access and the use of machinery in forests. A regional authority said on Twitter that those who set the fires are criminals and delinquents and will be prosecuted and treated as such. Spain is still fighting the first major wildfire of the year. It sprung up in the eastern Valencia region last week and has destroyed almost 12,000 acres. The country led Europe in wildfire damage in 2022, which was its worst year for wildfires since 1994. Over 60% of Scottish transgender prisoners only transitioned after being locked up. According to a report in The Telegraph, 19 transgender prisoners are in Scotland's prisons, and 12 of them began their transition after their date of admission. The report said seven people born as men who identify as female are being allowed to serve their sentences in the women's prison. The revelation comes after outcry this year over transgender double rapist Adam Graham, who identifies as Isla Bryson. The offender was held at a woman's prison before being moved to a male one. The Italian government has approved a draft of a law that would ban food and meat produced from cell cultures in labs. Here's Italy's Minister for Agriculture. We think that products made in laboratories do not guarantee quality, do not guarantee well-being. They also do not guarantee, let's say it with pride, the safeguard of our culture and our tradition. Given part of our society and our model are tied also to the wine, food and agricultural production. Should the law get final approval in Parliament, it would result in a complete ban on synthetic food, both for humans and animals, including the sale, import and commercialization. Those breaking the law would incur a fine up to $65,000. Italy's farmers lobby strongly advocated for the initiative, but it has angered some animal welfare and environmental groups. And coming up in Geneva, the Watches and Wonders trade show opens this weekend. The Swiss watchmaking industry is healthy despite inflation and economic uncertainty. Belgium chocolate chefs are strutting their stuff for Easter. Stay tuned when we return for a creative Easter egg display. Good to have you back with us. The Swiss watchmaking industry is thriving despite inflation and economic uncertainty. In Geneva, a trade show features a variety of timepieces with price tags of up to $4 million. Entity's Andrew Thomas takes us there. Watches and Wonders is one of the biggest watch fairs in the world. All major luxury watch brands are in attendance. Carl Friedrich Scheufele is co-president of Swiss watchmaker Chopard. These expensive timepieces seem out of place with the cost of living crisis affecting much of the world. But Scheufele says, Surprisingly, the watch uh, industry has fared very well. Maybe because people still want to, to, be, to rejoice. Watch industry consultant Jean-Franco Rochelle agrees. Whether it's inflation or the economic crisis, that's all you hear in the media. In reality, the watch industry is doing very well. We have just come out of a record year in 2022. The Swiss watch industry has never exported so many watches. And the first two months, January and February, are so positive. Rolex is showcasing its latest models, including a new generation of Cosmograph Daytona. The model is celebrating its 60th anniversary. 
One of the most expensive watches at the fair is the Patek Philippe model. The timepiece has a suggested retail price of $4.2 million. I'm not saying that the world is doing well, but in any case, in this world where we often hear negative information, there is the very positive aspect of the top-of-the-range watch which is pleasing and is currently very successful. Watches and Wonders opens its doors to the public on April 1st. Organizers expect 30,000 visitors. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. In Belgium, an exhibition of extravagant chocolate eggs sparks fantasies of Easter. They aren't just a feast for the eyes. Let's take a look. Jeweled Fabergé, statue of Moai, and chocolate eggs adorned with flowers. These are part of an exhibition at a Brussels hotel just in time for the upcoming Easter. The aim of the exhibition is to bring together chocolatiers and pastry chefs. We invited 20 of them for this first edition, bringing together people who are passionate and love art and tastes and sharing. The public met the chefs on the opening day of the exhibition. British-born chocolate master Michael Lewis Anderson accomplished his work within one day using almost 100 pounds of chocolate. There's roughly about 45 kilos of chocolate inside. It's quite heavy, actually. Um, transportation was a little bit scary because obviously, as you see, he's going up. It's like he don't want to do the, do the Tower of Pisa, the Tower of Pisa effect falling over in, in Brussels, you know? Transport isn't the only challenge. What's difficult with, the temp with chocolate, it's not only the temperature, it's also the humidity. Also, chocolate can take, it can also attract um, different smells or flavors, and then you have to be very careful with that. But that didn't stop passionate chocolatiers. Award-winning chef Frederick Blondiel came up with a fresh idea with his creation. He decorated an egg with silhouettes of the world map. We wanted to, to represent the world. I think it's an important fact today with everything what's happened. And uh, everybody has to take care about the world. So that's why I have the title, uh, Heat Me Up, I'm a Melting Baby. These eggs stand about 20 inches tall. And while they are indeed edible, they aren't up for sale. The exhibition will run until after Easter. Only so many Easter eggs can be brought into the United States. Customs and Border Protection wants to make sure people know about the limit. The limit is 12. That rule is aimed at something called cascarones. Those are real eggs that have been emptied, filled with confetti, and then decorated. The problem is that eggshells can transmit diseases like bird flu, which was largely responsible for the most recent egg shortage. Authorities say people bringing in cascarones should make sure the eggs are clean and dry and free of any residue. And as always, no fresh eggs, raw chickens, or live birds are allowed to be brought into the U.S. Five rare editions of William Shakespeare's works are going on sale in England. For centuries, his words continue to inspire through these pages. The collection showcases compilations of the playwright's works published 400 years ago. It contains five volumes by the British literary giant, four original folios, and a first edition collection of the sonnets. These writings established him as the king of literature. The most expensive is the first folio. It compiles 36 of Shakespeare's 37 plays. Experts say that without it, 18 of these plays might have disappeared. None of Shakespeare's original manuscripts are known to have survived. Shakespeare is the king of English literature. There was no other author or playwright that had so many editions published in this period. And, and, and really, that is what cements him as the number one. Absolutely. There's uh, plays like uh, Macbeth, uh, The Tempest, uh, All's Well That Ends Well, Twelfth Night. These are first published here and they would almost certainly have been lost without the publication here. Really want to know what he's like. Look not on his picture, but his book. The set of books has an asking price of over $10 million. The books are available as a set, but are also for sale individually. Leonardo da Vinci's paintings may have had a secret ingredient. According to a new study, old masters like Leonardo da Vinci, Bocitelli, and Rembrandt may have used egg yolk in their oil paintings. Trace quantities of protein have been detected in the classic paintings. While it was originally believed to have been from contamination, researchers now say it was intentional. They say adding egg yolk could tune the properties of the oil paint in drastic ways, such as showing age and brush strokes differently. It would also make the paint more resistant to humidity. 
The study was published Tuesday in the journal Nature Communications. And just ahead, a small village in Georgia's Caucasus Mountains is named one of the top tourist destinations in the world. Find out more about the town's ski slopes and rich cultural heritage. The European Space Agency has a special craft named Juice, and it's about to embark on an eight-year journey. Details to come on NTD News Today. A small village in Georgia's Caucasus Mountains has been named one of the top tourist destinations in the world. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on what draws visitors, the ski slopes and the cultural heritage. Ski enthusiasts enjoy the slopes of Tetnoldi Mountain. Here in the Svaneti region of Georgia's Caucasus Mountains, skiers can enjoy the mountain year-round. Ski tours, mountain climbing, rock climbing, and much more. We have attractions for all four seasons. There is much to see here. Svaneti is very interesting in good or bad weather. Tetnoldi also offers expert skiers challenging terrain. Many just come here to see the breathtaking landscapes. Georgia is a very diverse country with its landscape and climate. You can see many things in Georgia, but Svaneti is a special place. When you are here and going up Tetnuldi Mountain, where we are now, you feel that you are at the center of the world. This is Tetnuldi. The ski slopes here aren't the only draw. The village of Mestia is a beloved destination for its cultural monuments, too. One of the most important cultural points in Mestia is the Laghami Church. The two-story construction has frescoes dating back to the 9th century. This church represents one of the most interesting places for Svenetian cultural heritage because two-story churches are very rare in Georgia and in Svaneti too. And also, it has frescoes from the 10th, 12th, and 13th centuries. And also, the facade painting is also preserved. Mestia's museum also hosts many historical artifacts and exhibits tell the story of the region's cultural history. Austria and other countries are helping Georgia develop its economy and tourism industry. It is an impressive, uh, impressive uh, tourism uh, destination, mm -hmm. but it has to uh, become uh, attractive for internationals as well. So uh, the Austria, together with the European Union and Sweden, is partnering up, and we are promoting and developing the tourism mm -hmm. se segment. Yeah, segments, I would say. The UN World Tourism Organization has named Mestia as one of the best tourism villages of 2022. It's one of 32 villages from 18 countries to be selected for the top honor. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Outrage in the ocean after video surfaces showing aquatic animals fleeing from unwanted attention. A large group of swimmers in hot water for swarming a pod of protected spinner dolphins. Hawaii's Department of Land and Natural Resources released this video showing 33 people, quote, aggressively pursuing and harassing the animals. Under federal law, it's illegal to swim within 50 yards of the mammals. The rule seeks to keep tourists from disrupting the nocturnal dolphins who rest during the daytime. Conservation officers met with the potential perpetrators back on land. The case is under review. A mission to explore the secrets of Jupiter's ice-crusted moons is about to launch. The European Space Agency has built a special craft called JUICE to make the eight-year-long journey to the outer reaches of our solar system. Let's take a look. Set for launch in two weeks' time, this is the craft that will travel more than 500 million miles to fly past Jupiter and its moons. The craft and the mission is called JUICE, the Jupiter Icy Moons Exploration to investigate the emergence of habitable worlds around gas giants. JUICE is not in itself designed to look for life on an icy moon, uh, but if we're going to find life elsewhere in the solar system, chances are it's going to be uh, underneath the ice, if there is an ocean underneath the ice on one of those moons. Um, so uh, it's going to be very exciting to look and see whether whether we do find what we're expecting to find, whether there are salty oceans underneath the icy crusts that could contain the conditions that would support life. Its journey to Jupiter will take it over eight years. Once arriving at our solar system's largest planet, the craft will conduct about three dozen flybys of its three moons before settling permanently around the moon Ganymede. A space scientist said the environment around Jupiter can inform researchers about other similar gas giants beyond our solar system. The moons themselves 
we want to try and understand what the interior structure looks like and whether the ingredients for potential habitability are there. But the other reason the Ganymede is so important is that we think the internal structure of Ganymede um, is a whole new class of body known as a water world. Doherty said the information collected by JUICE can help scientists work out whether there's organic material on the surface of Ganymede. If you're looking for ingredients for life or for potential habitability to form, you need four different things. First ingredient is liquid water. The second one is a heat source, which we're almost sure we have at Ganymede because there's this internal dynamo field. Organic material. And then those first three ingredients to be stable enough over a long enough period of time that something can actually happen. The juice craft costs about £1.4 billion and was constructed by Airbus. It won't be attempting to land in any of the moons. We won't get underneath the surface with juice, but what juice will be able to tell us is how thick the ice crust is. So if we want to go back again and send a lander, at least we know where to land. You know, some, I'm, I'm often asked, why aren't you sending a lander now? We don't know where to land. The juice craft is scheduled to launch from French Guiana on April the 13th. NASA's Artemis 1 has ended its mission orbiting the moon. There was no crew on board, but a special passenger was there in witness. It was Shaun the Sheep, a six-inch model of the children's animated character. The figurine made a trip to the moon along with the spacecraft, covering a distance of 1.4 million miles round trip. It has returned safely to the UK this week. An animation studio in Bristol unveiled a wall of photos honoring Sean. A co-founder of the studio says Sean made dreams come true for every child. The model also received a certificate celebrating this achievement. NASA's Artemis 1 lifted off from Florida last November. That was half a century after the last Apollo mission to the moon. NASA is studying one of the most powerful classes of explosions in the universe. This particular one is being called the boat, brightest of all time. Tuesday, the space agency announced it clocked a gamma ray burst in October of last year that was unlike any other. Scientists say the pulse of intense radiation was so exceptional that it blinded most of the gamma ray instruments in space. They believe a gamma ray blast like this one is so rare it only happens once in every 10,000 years. It triggered numerous detectors on spacecraft and observatories around the globe, on the International Space Station, and even Voyager 1 in interstellar space. Astronomers believe gamma-ray bursts come from the formation of black holes. NASA's James Webb and Hubble Space Telescopes searched for the supernova that usually follows long bursts, but they believe the entire star was swallowed up by the black hole instead of exploding. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.